now, uh, canned food and peanut butter. You can see Durrell um, figure out a time to drop that off, but it, it always we always have a lot every Tuesday, and I know we didn't have food pantry last Tuesday, so this Tuesday will probably be pretty, pretty busy. So um, if you're interested in that, you can see Durrell, but he wanted to also thank everyone who's already brought food. Uh, we know how much you guys um, put into the food pantry, and we're so thankful we get to participate in that ministry. Um, also, if you are interested in volunteering, um, the Franklin Clothes Closet is in need of volunteers. And so Pastor Neil has uh, details on that if you have any questions about that. Um, this Thursday, we're having our second uh, student intensity study, which is like a one-day D-Now that we do at Rootful Road. Um, we study the Bible, play games together, eat lunch together. If you have any questions about that, that is this Thursday at Rootful Road. starts at 9 o'clock in the morning. Um, so if you have any questions, you can see me. But that's a really great opportunity for students to connect with other students in our area uh, during the summer. Um, next Sunday night will be our church picnic. So um, we are having water slides, hamburgers and hot dogs, and our homemade ice cream contest next Sunday night from 6 to 8. Um, so we would love for you to be there, bring a gallon of ice cream. Um, I can't remember exactly who won last year, but I think she's in the room. So... <laughs> Yeah, we, we gave out more than one trophy, but not everyone got one, okay? So uh, make your best ice cream and come along um, and, and, and enjoy that evening with us. Like I said, we'll have food and water slides. So kids, bring your bathing suits, adults, if you want. Um, it's up to you. So I saw a picture of some adults in, at water slides this past weekend. So um, I'd love for you to be a part of that. And then in a couple of weeks, uh, July 31st, our students are going to the Braves game. Um, it's a, that's a Monday, July 31st, and so there's a sign-up sheet in the back. Um, 20, tickets are $25, and so um, we would love for any students who are interested in that to come and be a part of um, going to the Braves game with us. With all that said, um, if you have any questions, you can see myself or Neil. And uh, as we move into our time of worship this morning, let's pray, and uh, we will worship the Lord together. Lord, we are so thankful for the opportunity to worship you. Lord, we're thankful for the opportunity to have a family um, at this church, Lord, to have brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, we are so in need of your grace, Lord. We are so thankful that you work in our lives, that you use us, Lord, that you want to have a relationship with us, Lord, and that you dwell with us. Lord, this morning as we come together to worship you in song and in study, Lord, I pray that we would have hearts and minds that are, that are focused and, and willing and, and yearning, Lord, to, to honor and glorify you in all that we do. And Lord, that this would be a place where we come together and, Lord, be filled up to go out and to worship you in our, in our daily walks, Lord, in our daily lives. Lord, I thank you so much. For your son Christ, Lord, who died on the cross for our sins. And as we speak about it this morning, Lord, I pray that we would only boast in the cross of Jesus Christ. That we would know that that is our only place to run to for identity, for, for love, for comfort, Lord, is to run to what you've done for us on the cross, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Good morning. If you'll stand with me, we're going to begin singing a hymn we all know. We're going to start with singing at Calvary today.
sing um, is page 496 in your hymn book and I tell you what page number it is because sometimes I think we get in a rhythm of singing the same songs over and over and over again so as a result we only kind of know a really small portion of our hymnal and there's some really fabulous hymns in our hymnal um, and if you start looking at the you know the history and the story behind when they were wrote it's really powerful um, and so Miss Joyce and Miss Becky have actually challenged me and we've come up here on Thursdays, and I'll say a couple of songs, and then they'll start. Well, do you know 496? Do you know 502? Mm-mm, you're going to learn it. Do you know 758? Do you? And we've been going through the hymn and making a list of songs that we may not sing all the time here at Glenlock, but that are good hymns, really good hymns. Um, and so this morning, we're going to sing, No One Ever Cared For Me Like Jesus. And I want to tell you, this is actually a hymn I learned in college. We, um, I went to Troop McConnell, so it was a Southern Baptist college, and we were all complaining one day, and I was in a chamber choir, so there was really only like 12 of us, and my professor said, y'all, here, he passed out hymnals, and we kind of looked at him, and he said, y'all got a hymn you need to learn, and he taught us this hymn, no one ever cared for me like Jesus, and he said, I don't mind listening to you complain, but I'm not the one you need to be complaining to, um, and so that this kind of became a song that our little group, we sang a jazz version of it, but we sang it all the time, um, and it kind of stuck with me. So we're going to sing this one together. I would love to tell you what I think of Jesus since I found in him a friend so strong and true I would tell you how he changed my life completely he did something no other friend could do Oh. 
Till someday I see his blessed face above. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. There's no other friend so kind as he. No one else could take the sin and darkness job. Y'all have a seat for our reading this morning. Good morning from Jeremiah chapter 9. And I'm reading from the uh, NIV, and I really like the way it speaks. Uh, Like I say, it's Jeremiah chapter 9, verses uh, 23 and 24. Hold on. My phone scrolled down, and I didn't know it. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom, or the strong boast of their strength, or the rich boast of their riches. But let this, the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you this morning for, for your word. Father, just help us to remember what it says, that we can't boast on our wisdom, our wealth. Father, our strength. Father, those are all blessings from you. Father, we can only boast in you. Just help us to remember that. Be with us now as Pastor Neil brings the word. Father, just just, uh, use him as a vessel. And we just give you all the honor, glory, and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll stand, we're going to sing one more song together. We're going to sing Lead Me to the Cross.
You were as I tempted and tried, human. The Word became flesh for my sin and death. Now you're risen, and everything I once held dear, I can. Children are dismissed for Children's Church with Miss Vaughn. Okay, if you have your Bibles, turn to Galatians chapter 6. I've got good news in more ways than one. This is, well, jokingly, this is the end of Galatians. This is the last sermon in the book of Galatians, and the book of Galatians is all about the good news. So if my count is right, this is the 23rd sermon from the book of Galatians, six chapters. And today we will conclude with a magnifying of the cross. Magnifying the cross. This whole book's been about the cross of Christ. This whole book has illuminated and magnified the cross of Christ. And the reason the cross is crucial and essential, and there are many reasons. The song we just sang, I really liked how it emphasized the fact that if we go to the cross, if we are led to the cross, it is at the cross that the heart of God is revealed. At the cross, we see at the same time, the love and the mercy of God demonstrated, and also at the same time, the holiness and the justice of God demonstrated. So here in Galatians chapter 6, the last few verses of this very powerful letter that Paul sent to the Galatians, I want us to see how he concludes this, this epistle. I want us to remember that throughout this epistle, the thread of redemption and the cross has been very 
powerfully and clearly emphasized and highlighted. So apparently in verse 11, there's something interesting that happens that is a bit of a transition. Normally Paul's method would be to verbally speak to a secretary... And the secretary would be writing what Paul said to put in the epistles. But there are times when our urgency and our passion just can't be communicated from us through someone else. And we say to someone, you give me that pen. I'll write it from here. That's, we think, what happened with verse 11 because... Paul, apparently, writes the concluding remarks in his own personal handwriting. Now, what we know about Paul is that he had some physical disabilities. His eyesight was was a bit of a challenge. He had gone through so many physical sufferings and difficulties, and so some of... and, and, And he's... He's a bit aged and seasoned, so look at verse 12. He says, see, notice, behold, with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. So he highlights this. He puts it in bold face. He he has it in all caps. This is for magnification. This is for emphasis. This is, I'm drawing this thing to a close. And as we close out 23 sermons on Galatians, so to speak, here's what we want to remember most of all that we've said. Verse 12. And this is what he writes in, it's what he highlights, it's what he magnifies. Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh, they're trying to compel you. Some of the words there, some of the versions there have the word coerce. And coercion is sneaky. Coercion has an agenda. So it's it's a little stronger than compel in the New American Standard. They try to coerce you to be circumcised simply that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. They do not want the persecution associated with the cross of Christ. For those who are circumcised, they don't even keep the law themselves. (laughs) Duh, right? I mean, none of us can keep the law. So they're attaching this outward external ritual to salvation... When that is extremely hypocritical, it is extremely futile, because none of us can keep the law. So we're plowing ground that we've already plowed. They desire, verse 13 midway, they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast, key word this morning, that they may boast in your flesh. They just want to count you in their statistics. They want to put you up there as people that are following them. These folks are in our party. They're Judaizers. See, we're influential, we're powerful, we're important. Look at all these people we've got coming our way. 
And then verse 14, which is such an intimidating verse, because with fear and hesitation I approached Galatians 6.14 because I said to myself early this morning, there is no way that I can adequately do justice to preaching this verse, and there is also no way that I can adequately live this out in my own personal life. And then I said to myself, well, that's what this verse is for. That's what the cross is for. My preaching is limited and fallen. My morality, my, my, my thinking, my moods, my practice, it falls far short of the cross of Jesus Christ. So let's flip Satan on his head this morning, and rather than allow this for us to become a source of discouragement, let's let it be a source of strength, because I'll never be able to preach this completely and rightly. I'll never be able to live this out perfectly in my personal life. So let's say with Paul, may we never boast in anything but the cross. May it never be, God forbid, some of the versions say, that I should ever boast. I don't have anything to present before you this morning or any Sunday morning other than the cross of Christ. I have nothing but the cross of Christ. And without the cross of Christ, you and I have nothing, and we are nothing. Paul says, I won't boast in anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which, listen to what he says, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. There are actually three crucifixions in Galatians 6.14. The crucifixion of Christ for us, there's the crucifixion of Paul to the world, and there's the crucifixion of the world to Paul. Then in verse 15, he says, Neither is circumcision anything. Uncircumcision is not anything but a new creation. A new creation, born again, supernatural, born from above. Look at verse 16. Those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no, you can almost feel Paul's appeal. I mean, good grief. I mean, people are working you over and causing you trouble and just continually barraging you. Don't you want to tell them this? Stop causing me trouble. You're trying to give me a hassle, and they certainly were. Look at this. From now on, let no one cause trouble for me. And the Judaizers had been that. He says, I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. He had literal, physical scars born out of his devotion and passion for the gospel and of Christ. He says, the proof of my faith and genuineness is in my own life. I have these marks of the cross upon me. And then he says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirits, brethren. Or be with your spirit, brethren. Amen. Amen. And what does amen mean? A little boy said one time years ago, amen means you like good preaching. And it means that. But it literally means, so let it be. 
so let it be. May each of us personally, so let it be in our lives, confirmed and settled, that though we fall short of this, this is going to be our rule, it's going to be our passion, and every Sunday we're going to keep showing up because we know this is the only way to salvation. It is the only way to life and life abundantly. To God be the glory. Father, thank you for our passage this morning. Thank you for this whole book, which has been a very long exposition of the cross of Christ and its sufficiency, its fullness, its richness. Uh, how the, the cross and the finished work of Jesus not only is our basis of forgiveness and righteousness, but also our only hope for change and growth and our only hope for future glory in heaven. So may we continually set before us the cross of Christ. May we boast in nothing except the cross of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, as I thought about verse 11 and 12 and Paul signifying and putting his stamp and his signature at the end of this letter, I thought of the name John Hancock. John Hancock is a name synonymous with your autograph. Hey, put your John Hancock right here. If you've ever looked at the Declaration of Independence, there's one name that stands out above all the other names. Whose is it? It's John Hancock's. And rumor has it that he wanted to be so bold and so adamant in his convictions regarding that Declaration of Independence that he wanted people to be able to read what he wrote without their spectacles. Rumor also had it that there was a bounty on the head of John Hancock and without fear and without trepidation. He signs his name so large he says that he hopes John Bull, England personified, can see it and do with it whatever he wills. So this morning, Paul takes the pen and very boldly proclaims and courageously proclaims the major theme of this epistle, which is the cross of Christ. So from this incident in verse 11, I want to challenge us this morning to be people who magnify the cross. Because that's what Paul's doing. He's magnifying the cross. He is giving the cross the prominence that it deserves. He is giving the cross the pronouncement that it deserves. And in his own personal life, he is giving the cross the practical application that it deserves. The whole Bible is about the cross. The whole Bible is about the good news. From the very beginning, Genesis 3.15, God made a promise to undo the wreck of the fall. Through the seed of the woman who would be the Messiah. And it says there in that first promise of the gospel that, 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 that Satan and his seed would be at war with God and his seed. And that his heel would be injured but that through the seed, through the Messiah, he would crush the head of the enemy and reverse the power and the effects of the fall. And throughout the Old Testament, it looks forward to Christ. And here we have Jesus, the Messiah, who comes. 
And the gospel writers announce the good news. But do you realize of the four gospels that the main emphasis in the four gospels is the passion narrative? In fact, someone has said about the gospels that what they really are are long passion, are passion narratives or messages about the cross with lengthy introductions. That they really get to the cross. Now here's the problem with us. The cross is so familiar. And you've probably heard familiarity breeds what? Contempt. And so in our day and age, the cross is everywhere. We wear it around our necks. We wear it on t-shirts. We see it beside the road. We have a cross here prominently displayed, and rightly so, behind me every Sunday. I mean, the cross is very and extremely familiar. It's so familiar to us that we lose some of the shock and the punch that it had in, in, in the very first century. So when Paul says, God forbid that I glory in anything except the cross, that was a very shocking statement. In fact, I was reading through some of the commentaries this week, and one commentary put it like this. The cotton patch gospel, which is written for people to fully understand in our culture what the gospels are trying to say, put it in this way. Galatians 6.14 would sound like this. God forbid that I should ever take pride in anything except the lynching, the lynching of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you bring up the subject of lynching in mixed company, that's an awkward sub subject. Don't bring that up. That's historically brutal and nasty and unjust. But when we talk about the cross of Christ, what took place in the life of Jesus the Messiah deserves that kind of weight and that kind of punch because what happened on the cross of Christ was Jesus, God's pure and only Son, taking upon Himself the fire and the wrath and the judgment that our sin rightfully deserved. I only mention that in passing to say that the whole Bible is ultimately pointing to and flowing from the cross. And that you and I, because the cross is so common in our language and culture, that we don't get the shock and the awe and the magnification that the cross deserves in its proper context. So, let me give us three statements this morning just to kind of work around and wrap my thoughts and our thoughts in the text around. We magnify the cross in three ways. Number one, we magnify the cross by embracing the cross. Number two, we magnify the cross by glorifying the cross. Then last of all, we magnify the cross by applying the cross. By applying the cross and what it means to our particular circumstances and situations. So let's start with number one. In verses 11 through 13, we magnify the cross by embracing it. By loving it. By saying with the hymn writer, In my hand no price I bring Simply to thy cross I what? Cling. 
So many good hymns about the cross. My temptation this morning was just to, to sing hymns about the cross because we have so many wonderful hymns about the cross. Here's another one. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a what? A crown. Now, the Judaizers had an agenda. I mentioned it in passing. that They wanted a comfortable life. They didn't want the life of the cross. They didn't want persecution, suffering, humiliation, and all that comes with, quote, the lynching of Jesus Christ in Jerusalem on a hill called Calvary. They didn't want that. It's not comfortable. It's not easy. It exposes what's beneath the surface of all of us, and that is sin so horrible that only God being crucified could forgive it. It's not a pretty sight. Number two, it's, not, it's also not a good show. It's, it's not popular. It's not pleasing. It's not alluring. Isaiah 53, men hid their faces from what took place in the life of Jesus Christ on Calvary. They hid their face from his whole life because it wasn't beautiful in the, the, the worldly sense, the, the, the human sense of the word. So their agenda led them to rather embracing and clinging to the cross to despising it, nullifying it, wanting to do away with it. But if I'm honest with myself, what, what's my underlying agenda also? Well, self-comfort and popularity. The two very things that the Judaizers had underlying their agendas that led them to rather than embracing the cross and clinging to the cross and loving the cross to denying the cross and choosing something a little more external and a little more popular and a little more fitting with tradition. They had all that going for them with circumcision. But why do we embrace the cross? Well, the same reason the Judaizers should have embraced the cross, and that's in verse, help me find it, 13. None of us can keep the law. None of us. Therefore, we have all, because we failed to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, all of us are legally deserving of the wrath of God, the fire of God, His holiness and his justice. And on the cross, Jesus, through his shocking and surprising and substitutionary and sacrificial death on my, my behalf, that became sufficient to atone and pay for my sin. So we love the cross because it is the only means for forgiveness and atonement for lawbreakers like you and me. If circumcision couldn't keep the law, and none of us can keep the law, what happens to those who cannot keep the law? Jesus kept the law. He was fully righteous and holy on our behalf. And on the cross, he bore the penalty of our sin. And that is why we embrace the cross. That's why we feel about the cross in a way the Judaizers could not feel. Now, with it comes persecution. With it comes a lack of popularity, and on and on and on. But we embrace it anyway, not because it's easy, but because it's the only way to life. 
Now, I heard on talk radio this week that Jimmy and Rosalind Carter have been married. Does anybody know how many years? 77 years. That is amazing. And so I'm thinking about the cross. I'm thinking about marriage. A lot of people don't want to embrace marriage either. A lot of people don't want to embrace the cross. A lot of people don't want to embrace marriage. And those are two very sacred covenants. And those covenants are not easy. And 77 years to me is absolutely amazing. Because in, 70, in 77, 17, now I'm thinking about John Hancock. In 77 years, can you imagine all the things that you go through? And then I've done so many weddings, and I participated in my own wedding, and I'm remembering the vows that I said, and then I'm remembering the vows that I leave other people through, and I'm making all these weird connections in my head, and you're about to hear some of them. So I'm thinking about the new covenant, and I'm thinking about the covenant of marriage, and all that both those covenants entail. And at my wedding ceremony, which my grandfather was the pastor of, he led me and Tracy in vows that went like this. I kneel take you, Tracy, to be my wife. I promise to love, honor, and cherish you. And to be a companion to you. I promise to share my strengths and my weaknesses, my achievements and my disappointments. And I promise to respect you and be a friend to you for better or worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in death, as long as we both shall live. And that is a sacred commitment. And what it is a commitment of is bringing everything we go through and everything we are to that covenant. So let's think through this embracing of the cross as we would embrace our spouse and embrace the vows that go with embracing our spouse through the ordinance of marriage, with the cross of Christ. With the cross of Christ, I bring my strengths and my weaknesses, my achievements and my disappointments. To the cross of Christ, I should bring love, honor, and respect. To the cross of Christ, I bring my riches and my poverty, my sickness and my health, whatever comes bringing to the cross of Christ all that I am and all that I have, and laying it at the feet of Jesus. Because with the cross of Christ comes persecution. And with the cross of Christ, you lose a sense of self-comfort. But without the cross of Christ, there is nothing left. I must move on because you know I've got two other points to make. There's a lot here. Are you embracing the cross? Are you wed to the cross? Are you married to the cross? I mean, are you bringing to the cross of Christ? Because here you have in the cross of Christ, the groom Christ who gave himself up, who loved the church so much that he gave himself up for the church. And here we are, his bride, bringing everything, all of our blessings, all of our pains, all of our disappointments, everything that we are and we have, we lay it at the feet of Jesus. That type of embracing is, I think, what the Bible calls us to. Number two, we magnify the cross by glorifying it. By glorifying it. 
Remember when your parents used to say, I'll give you something to cry about? <laughs> Remember that? I kind of wanted to tell myself this week, I'll give you something to boast about. What? <laughs> and God says, me. Me, the cross. We exist for his glory, but here we have, and that's why Jackie Re Wayne read Jeremiah 9. Man, we are all so tempted to boast in what we have and who we are. And Jeremiah nails it on the head. Let not a wise man boast of his wisdom. Oh yeah, you think you know everything. You think you're smarter than everybody else, don't you? Yeah, we all pick up on that, right? <laughs> let not a wise man boast of his wisdom. Let, let not a strong man boast of his strength. Because there may be other people who are smarter, but I'll show them in this particular category. I'll show them with my physical accomplishments and my physical achievements. And then there's wealth. Yeah, some people may be smarter. And some people may be faster. Ah, but I'm rich. I've got them in that category. Jeremiah seems to know, years before the cross, what we're still interested in boasting about in relationship to other people, even here today. But the Bible warns us. Those things are garbage. Paul says, I had all that stuff. Paul says, I was smarter. I was religious. I was wealthy. I could run the 40 in 4.2 seconds flat. No, nowhere in the Bible does it say that. But I just imagine that Paul must have been pretty fast. None of those things. So regarding our temptations to glory in ourselves and to promote ourselves, Paul gives us something to boast about, and that is what? A singular boast, and that is the cross of Christ. The cross of Christ. Then he tells us why in verse 14. Why is, why is it that we should boast only, only in the cross of Christ? Because it is the cross of our Lord. <laughs> he is Lord and He is King. And His hour of glory was the hour of the cross in which He fully displayed the love of God and the holiness of God to us. And if the Lord has condescended to die on a cross and he is king of kings, then let all glory and all praise and all honor and joy go to him because he alone is Lord, and he's also Jesus. What does the name Jesus mean? God to the rescue. Here is God coming down, the word becoming flesh, and saving us and rescuing us, and he is Christ. See, we're so familiar with Lord Jesus Christ that we don't understand the punch those three words would have had to the first century. He is Lord. He is Jesus, a real historical man who walked and talked and taught, but he didn't just talk. He was the Christ. Now, here's why the cross was a problem. Jesus was Lord, but to the Romans, only Caesar was Lord. The Romans were powerful and they were strong. And anybody that died on a cross was a loser. If you died on a cross, you were somebody who lived a pathetic life that came to a pitiful end. Anybody that dies on a cross cannot be Lord. They're a loser. So the Romans could not glorify the cross because to the Romans it was... 
It was not powerful. It, it was a loss. And to the Jews, who were all about light and purity, Jesus couldn't be the Messiah. Because they even had in their word that anyone who hung on a tree was, was cursed. And so to them it was a stumbling block. Anybody that died like that was under a curse from God. And so Paul had already told us in Galatians, yes, he was under a curse. He became a curse for us so that we could be blessed with forgiveness and righteousness. He was cursed. He was under a curse. It was for you. And so they stumbled over there. And they, what, what were the Greeks all about? Well, you know, in their togas, they were wiser than everybody else in wisdom. But to them, this was absolute foolishness. Foolishness. That God would save people through a sacrifice. So, so you see why the, the Jews struggled to glorify the cross. The Romans struggled to glorify the cross. And the Greeks struggled to glorify the, the cross. And Paul, who knew a sense of all three of those cultures, says, stop. I'm only going to glorify the cross. Why? Because he knew the other side of the cross, which was the resurrection. On the road to Damascus, he saw glory. He saw power. He saw wisdom in the face of Jesus Christ. So Paul says, hold on everything. Jesus is crucified, and I'm now dead to the world, and the world is dead to me. Paul says, y'all can take this world and its opinions and its systems and its ways and its pressure and its economies. You can have it. I'm crucified to that just as they, just as they are crucified to me. So what's the world? Well, you know what the world is. You feel it. You know it. You're in it. And striving not to be of it. David Wells said this, Worldliness is that which validates the fallenness within us. It makes sin look normal and righteousness look strange and bizarre. It's anything which hinders our enjoyment of the Father's love or decreases our desire to do His will. Worldliness is anything which hinders our enjoyment of the Father's love or decreases our desire to do His will. It is simply put, peer pressure. I've been there. When I was in high school, the pastor and youth pastor of our church says, we got a wonderful idea. We're going to put a couple of you guys who play on the football team, and we're going to print your testimonies with your pictures, and we're going to pass all that out the gate. Friday night, when everybody comes in, the hundreds to Franklin to watch the fo football game, they're going to see your testimony and another guy's testimony. We're going to choose two cheerleaders, and we're going to pass out their testimonies to everybody that comes through in the gate. All the parents, all the fans, all the students, everybody. Worldliness is that part of me that when they asked me to do that, I said yes, but underneath, I was fearful. I was a little embarrassed. I was a little bit, oh no, what are people going to think? I was a little bit, oh no, what are my friends going to say? When I finally come out and associate myself, now I'm good at church. And those old folks at church, they made you love being in love with Jesus. But these guys on the team, they don't get it. And so it's that pressure, it's that system, it's that thought 
that to be identified with Jesus is somehow strange, weird, and bizarre. I look back on myself, and then I look back at myself now. How ridiculous. How silly. And we say with the hymn writer, In the cross of Christ I glory, towering o'er the wrecks of time. I must move on. We magnify the cross by embracing it. We magnify the cross by glorifying it, lifting it up. If we do that, he will draw all men unto him through the cross and our glorifying of it. The world dies to us, we die to the world. But a new creation happens, a new nature, a new character is formed through the cross. Don't miss that. But then last of all, we magnify the cross by applying it, applying it. So once we understand it and grow to understand it, then comes the, the walking out of here and applying it. Now, now this is where I get this uh, point. Paul, the cross of Christ was literally carved into Paul. The, the word here is of brand marks. Have any of y'all ever owned horses or cattle that had a brand on it? The brand is to identify ownership. In this particular culture, slaves were often branded literally on their skin to identify ownership and authority. Paul is saying that I'm branded with the cross of Christ. I'm branded by Jesus Christ himself to signify that in my life I have applied the cross in all these ways. Now, I've got passages, but you need to go and read them for, for yourself. If you don't buy what I'm speaking here. 2 Corinthians 4, 2 Corinthians 6, 2 Corinthians 11. Paul talks about his beatings, his lashings, all the bumps and bruises and turns and twists and difficulties that he faced. And his body literally had the scars. So he says, don't come at me with anything that would cause me trouble because I've, I'm, I'm already there. I've, I've applied it to my life. And then he says that we are to walk by this rule. What does it mean to walk? It means to live. We're to live our lives in such a way that it's obvious that the cross has marked us. The cross has had its effect on us. And so what he says about those who walk in light of the cross, he says he uses three words. He started Galatians with these three words. He finishes Galatians with these three words. If we were playing a game here, adults, and you had to choose and circle the three words, what would you find in these last few verses? 16, 17, and 18. What are they? Interactive here. Okay, you're paying me to do this, so I'll do it. Peace, in verse 16. Mercy, in verse 16. And then grace, in verse 18. Those who understand and apply the cross will be marked by peace and mercy and grace. Peace and mercy and grace. Because those who've been to the cross have the, the peace of God applied to their life because now you're at peace with God. There's no need to be restless or unsettled. Look at the cross. If he has not withheld his son 
from us, how shall he not also with him freely give us all things? Look at the cross for mercy. Another hymn, there was mercy great and grace was free. There was pardon multiplied to me. Be merciful as the Father in heaven is merciful. How? Go and apply the cross to the knuckleheads around you. Apply the cross in a merciful way to the sinners around you. And first to the sinner in, in you. And then grace. Peace and mercy and grace. What greater grace than God's grace that has come to us through Calvary? It's all of grace. It's not of us. Everything we have and everything that we are has come down from above. But the, but the clearest, most powerful message of grace has come to us through the cross itself. Where I deserved penalty, death, and wrath, He gave love, forgiveness, and righteousness. Then He rises from the dead to show me where we're headed. So I'll close with this, and you've heard it before. When I was a young pastor, a lady named Denise Burson gave me one of the first books I ever owned, and it was a book of sermon illustrations. At that point in time, I was desperate for sermon illustrations. And you're saying, you're still desperate for sermon illustrations. I mean, you're giving us an old one right now, and you're telling us in advance. But man, I soaked that book up as a young pastor because I knew. I knew because I know myself. We need a connection. We need a story. We can't sit here that long. So anyway, in that book, there's a story of three boys. It's come a deep snow, and they're walking in the snow. And they come up with this little game they're going to play. Let's see who can walk the straightest line. And the first little boy says, I'll go first. He says, I know what to do. So he walks backwards. <laughs> He's looking back, and he walks backwards, but his line veers off to the left. The other guy says, you don't know what you're doing. It's not by looking back. It's looking where you are. So he looks down, and he walks his line as straight as he can walk, and, and his line veers off the other direction. Third guy says, you don't know what you're doing. What you need is a fixed point in the future that you're looking at and focused on, and you take every step, and you walk toward that. That'll be a straight way to walk. And what I'm going to say is, Paul says, walk by this rule. You set the cross of Christ before you, and every step you take, every interaction, every circumstance, every response, every emotion, you look to the cross, and you apply the cross to it. You go in that direction. Don't look back at your past and all those regrets. They're under the cross. You don't even look where you are. You look where you're going. Set the cross of Christ before you every day. Walk by this rule and in your life you will receive and give peace and mercy and grace. Peace and mercy and grace. We boast in the cross because the cross is the only source, the only eternal source and the only deep source of peace and mercy and grace. Father, thank you. For the cross of Christ, it is the source of our salvation. It is the source of our daily strength. It is the only way that I can be changed to grow, to love you and others the way you call us to. 
It's the only thing that will give me the stamina and the endurance to take up my cross daily and deny myself and not boast in myself and follow you. God, give us today the grace and the understanding to have the cross marked in our life in a real and tangible way so that other people could see the light in the life of Jesus, that we would not hide it under a bushel, but with courage and boldness magnify, magnify and highlight the cross of Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Let's sing about the cross. You come as we sing.
share with our church family some good news. So, Lila, if you'll come stand, and Katrina and Brian, why don't you all come stand with Lila? So, Lila and I have had a few conversations, and she's also had some conversations with Bryson and her parents and others. And uh, Lila has accepted Christ as her Savior, and she is ready to pronounce that. Amen. Publicly through baptism, um, we had a really uh, good conversation uh, during Bible school about this issue, and I even wrote down some of Lila's answers. I thought they were so profound and so helpful to me because in her childlike way, she was communicating deep things about the gospel. I'll try to find where I wrote those and share those at her baptism. So, what is the pleasure of Glenlock Baptist Church? Because not only does she want to be baptized, but to become a member of our church family through this profession of faith. Okay, we have a motion to welcome and receive. All in favor, let me know by saying amen. 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 And Lila, that's, that's your church family. So, I pray that I can be the pastor and we can be uh, to the church that, that you need uh, that would enable you to grow in your faith and your following of Jesus Christ. I want to thank Katrina and Brian for being the parents that they are. Hey, Bryson, why don't you come stand with them as family life pastor, and then after our benediction, um, welcome Lila into our church family and let her know how happy we are that she has chosen to follow Christ and in obedience to be baptized. And we don't have anything on campus tonight, no evening services, no choir practice tonight. All in preparation for next Sunday night, because what you need to be doing tonight is that if you're going to beat my peppermint ice cream, you need to be working hard on whatever you bring into the table next Sunday night. Because I finished third or fourth last year, okay? And I was pretty satisfied with that. <laughs> um, anyway, just a, just a way to let you know, hey, we're grateful for all of you. For mid-July, this is a wonderful group of people to have in attendance today. And uh, But do, join us next Sunday evening. That's going to be a a fun time. And Lila, we're so grateful for you. Katrina, uh, Katrina, if there's anything I've, Catherine, missed, um, communicate that <laughs> besides your, the correct name. Let's sing the doxology together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him Great week.